0: For over 45 years, Pensacola Christian College has set aside some time each spring semester for Bible Conference. These days of concentrated study and preaching from the Word of God are a time of spiritual enrichment for our students, faculty and staff, and many others who join us for these services. We're pleased to welcome you to the PCC Bible Conference. Mark chapter 16. If you would take your Bible, join me, Mark chapter 16. Special word of thanks to Dr. Shoemaker for the invitation to participate in a very special Bible conference, 50th anniversary, of course, of Pensacola Christian College, 50th Bible Conference. So it made me start thinking back, of course, to Bible conferences in my own history. And um, I was a freshman, of course, at Pensacola Christian College back in the early 80s. So I was at the, the ninth... Bible conference of Pensacola Christian College, and I recall the three preachers who were preaching at that Bible conference. Uh, three people that, as I look back, I just think, Lord, you used people just like this in a setting exactly like this in such profound ways in my life. In fact, when I was thinking about the three people, here, here are the people. Uh, Paul Levine, was one of the guys who preached. How many of you know the name Paul Levine? Just raise your hand if you know the name. And that would be people that are over the age of 50. Okay, so Paul Levine, I remember him well because Paul Levine preached a message. It was over in the old St. John, uh, over in the old high school building. And uh, there's a gym there and the stage is at the end of the, the basketball court. So Paul Levine preached a message called One Step at a Time. And in my mind, Paul Levine was was always, you know, from the days of Noah. You know, he was really old and and a wonderful preacher. And he preached a message one step at a time. And he would preach it on one step at the edge of the platform. And as a freshman, I thought, I'm going to watch this man fall off the edge of the platform, you know. But I listened intently and, and he actually talked about you know, a couple that just followed the Lord one step at a time. I'll never forget that message, Paul Levine. Harold Seitler was one of the preachers. How many of you know the name Harold Seitler? Same group that knew Paul Levine. Harold Seitler was a guy, I can tell you honestly, I don't remember the message that he preached. But I do remember that Harold Seitler could get loud instantaneously, okay? He had kind of a, a little... Uh, almost a little mumble when he would preach, and then he could just get loud immediately. And I don't know why, but everybody, as soon as he got loud, they just said amen, you know. (laughs) So he would be preaching, and then he'd, and get loud, amen, you know. And so I'm going to try it tonight, so just um, be ready. And then a message that I have honestly, I've thought about this message repeatedly over the years. Uh, Dr. James Crumpton, uh, the other preacher. How many of you know the name James Crumpton? Oh, I saw somebody who Googled him. Okay, so (laughs) James Crumpton, he was from Natchez, Mississippi. If you ever heard James Crumpton preach, you heard a man that, I mean, I'm a freshman in college. He preached a message that has a one-word title, it was the, the, the one word title of the message is Jesus. And I've never, in, in my life, I've never heard a message just like it. And it profoundly impacted me as a freshman in college. And for, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour, James Crumpton just went on and on about the beauty of Jesus. And he, he, he attempted to define the indefinable. And I just, I just sat there as a, as a college freshman at Pensacola Christian College thinking, Lord, how wonderful you are. And I will tell you, I, I did go away with incredible appreciation for these men, but it wasn't the lasting fragrance of the conference. The lasting fragrance of the conference was the beauty of Jesus Christ. And then I start to, to think about the people that you are having the opportunity to hear. Now, I say this, and I'm not trying to, to feign false humility, I, I mean this sincerely, I know that, that many of you hear me often, so I do understand that, and I also understand I love Bible conference because I don't get to hear me, okay? <laughs> so, so thank you for the privilege to speak tonight at this conference, but... The the people that are here right now, I have such respect for the people that I've enjoyed listening to. And, you know, Dr. Pope, the message that he preached last night, I just sit back and I just go away thinking how wonderful what Christ accomplished for us on the cross what other system of belief can compare with what Jesus Christ, what God does to redeem man unto himself? It's just spectacular. And I remember, i remember, of course, the first time I had some personal interaction with Dr. Pope. I mean, I'd grown up listening to him preach, heard him preach in Bible conferences like this, and so the first time that I, I really had a personal interaction, he, I guess he knew who I was because I was the youth pastor. And, and I went to pick him up at the airport because he was going to preach for a big youth event that we had and here in Pensacola. So I went to the airport and comes off the plane and I greet him. And, and you know how he is. He's just bigger than life. And, and he's like, Jeff Redline really loud, you know, in the airport. And I'm like, hey, Dr. Pope, you know, and, <laughs> And um, he's like, Jeff, brother, bring it in here, you know? And I'm like, you know, this is at a time at PCC when, you know, you you didn't go around hugging people, you know what I'm saying? And so he's like, hey, good to see you, bring it in. And I'm like, hey, you know? uh, And he's like, no, 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 bring it in here. And so he's giving me this big hug in the airport and he says, I love you, Jeff. You know, I like you too, okay? (laughs) So Dr. Pope and, and then, you know, Dr. and Mrs. Raymond Barber, I mean, they're, they're just, you know, they've been married for 73 years. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. So 73 years they've been married. And first time I had the privilege to come and preach a Bible conference. Uh, first time, I mean, I'm, I'm excited and nervous. Julie and I are here. We went, we got in a little bit early, so we went to the beach that day. And we'd lived in Colorado, you know, they have mountains, but no beach, so we went to the beach. We come back from the beach, and we are a mess, okay? We'd been a long time at the beach, we're in beach clothes, and we're saying, while we're driving on the campus, going to go into Rand House, we hope we don't see anybody, you know, hope we don't see anybody, you know, we're just going to run right into the room. And so we park right in front of Rand, and we're just going to get out, nobody can see us run in. So we get out, close the door, and then meet, I mean, they're coming out while we're walking in, Dr. and Mrs. Raymond Barber, you know. And we're just a mess, and we're like incredibly embarrassed. And they've never met us before, but we know who they are, you know. And they're, they, they're just dressed to the hilt, too. Always perfect. They look like they came out of the, the fashion section of the Sword of the Lord, you know I mean? So they go, So they come walking out and and we're walking in and I'm like, hey, Dr. Barber. And and he says, and and who are you? Tim Zacharias. I don't know. know. (laughs) I I didn't say that, but they were most gracious. When they played the clip last night of Shane Lewis, I just thought, oh, I, I miss Shane Lewis. He's in glory. So I miss Shane. And then I didn't know who was going to be played tonight. And I thought, while I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, last night I thought, oh, I hope it's Clyde Box. I hope it's Clyde Box. And then tonight after the opening song and the clip starts, you know, Dr. Clyde Box. I I so wish that each of you had opportunity to hear Clyde Box preach. Maybe one of my all-time favorite Bible conference preachers, he, he would tell stories and weave it into the word in ways that, that still just resonate very deeply with me. I pulled up something because I can hear him say it. I mean, I can hear him with his, his Southern way and charm. He, he was in Brook Hollow, Texas for years And he always had this long, flowy, longer than it should be at PCC, white hair, you know. (laughs) And he would come walking up to the pulpit and, and then he would start in, in a tone and with a lilt that was only his. I can hear him say it tonight. He'd always start with a poem and so often it was this. I'd walk life's way with an easy tread It followed where comforts and pleasures led. Until one day in a quiet place, I met the master face to face. With station and rank and wealth for my goal, much thought for my body, but none for my soul. I had entered to win in life's mad race when I met the master face to face. I met him and knew him and blushed to see that eyes full of sorrow were fixed on me. And I faltered and fell at his feet that day while my castles melted and vanished away. Melted and vanished and in their place, not else did I see but my master's face. And I cried aloud, "O oh, make me meet to follow the steps of thy wounded feet. My thought is now for the souls of men. I have lost my life to find it again. Ere since one day in a quiet place, I met the master face to face. He's the one we have come to discuss tonight. In just a moment, we'll look in your Bibles at Mark chapter 16. You know, when I think about the men that have stood and preached in this pulpit and some that are yet to preach, in fact, tomorrow night, uh, Pastor Dr. Jim Shetler is going to preach. And I was thinking about Pastor Shetler and I thought about this Bible. I just had this Bible rebound and I've had this Bible for a lot of years. And I thought about how many times when I am thumbing through this Bible, I find more notes that are filled in this Bible from Dr. Jim Shetler. They're just all over here. You've heard many of his sermons. Well, you may not have heard him preach them. You've heard many of his sermons, you know. You know, in some way, shape or form, these guys are, are, I think in an appropriate way, kind of like Elisha looked at Elijah. They're some of our heroes. They, they have great regard in our hearts and minds. When I was a kid, it's different today because you can binge watch anything. You don't have to wait to see what happens. When I was a kid, you had to wait to see what happened to the Lone Ranger. So here you have this hero, and he's in some peril, some desperate circumstance, and, and even, you know, Superman or or a cartoon like Mighty Mouse, you had to wait to see what's gonna happen. But one thing you did know you knew that your hero wasn't going to die. You didn't know for sure how he'd get out of the bind he was in, but you knew he was not going to die because there's gonna be another show and another show and another show. But Jesus was the hero of his followers and he died. They were there and they watched it happen. They saw his mangled and torn body. They saw the blood in the water. They knew that no man, no human could survive what he had endured. And the hero had died. There was no episode next week. All the things that they had planned on, prepared for, thought of, dreamed of, those were now gone. It was the, for lack of a better term, the end of the show. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then... Is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. Your faith is also vain, just as we heard earlier today. It is all done if the hero is gone. There is no saving from a dead savior. Josh McDowell once wrote, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men. Or it is the most fantastic fact of history. I would submit to you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most fantastic fact of all of history. And of course, there are no insignificant details in scripture. So tonight, let's consider some of the rich meaning in the fact that a stone that was intended to seal the tomb of Jesus has in fact been forever rolled away. Your Bibles are open right now to Mark chapter 16. Look with me if you will, beginning in verse number one, where the Bible records, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. For it was very great. The title of our message tonight is simply, The Stone Was rolled away. So as the women are getting closer to the tomb of Jesus on that very eventful morning, it dawns on them that there's going to be an obstruction. Something is going to keep them from Jesus. And it was the stone, the stone which was great, the stone that is guarded. It's going to hinder their access to Jesus. Listen again to the question that they pose. Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? They seem to have put into words a question that could be asked even today by mankind. There is a barrier between man and his happiness, or better stated, between man and his true joy. That barrier has existed since man first fell in the garden, And now it appears that man continually looks to find some way around the barrier. Yes, an angel standing there with flaming sword, keeping men out of what they understand was happiness. And now how is it that we can find some way of maneuvering ourselves into a place where we can once again experience that which we have lost? But there is a barrier, something blocking the way. And so in an attempt to find this way around, man comes up against the barrier. It remains very great. Who among the mighty of this world can accomplish the feat of rolling away that stone? No mere man can accomplish the task. Yet the task was in fact accomplished. When the women arrived at the tomb, the stone was rolled away, the obstruction removed and the pathway cleared. One, by his own power had conquered death and the key to the tomb now must be relinquished. So what happened when the stone was rolled away? There are three things that we'll look at somewhat figuratively, but in a very real sense, literally, what happens when the stone is rolled away? The grave seems always to have swallowed its victims, never to return them again. Who is it that can escape the clutches of death? We oftentimes use little expressions like, I cheated death. But death is is never cheated. C.H. Spurgeon once said this. Spurgeon said, death itself was a huge stone not to be moved by any strength known to mortals, that death was evidently sent of God as a penalty for offenses against his law. How could it therefore be averted? How could it be removed? Death remains the tyrant of terror that it has always been. There was an old Vaudevillian, an old comedian named W.C. Fields, on his deathbed, his dying words were, I'm looking for a loophole. But there is no loophole regarding the fact, the reality of death. Death was actually sent by God as the payment for man's sin, and the very forces of hell were allowed to operate as its keeper. They had the power of death and had no intention of releasing it. Death reigned from its throne with no intent of stepping down. Notice three things that are present at Jesus' grave. The the first thing that I notice that's there is obviously the stone. We'll look at that as the stone that is the picture of death sealed in the tomb never to come out again. What a picture of the immovable weight of death. Who could of their own power escape its grip? None had, none could. And while we use the phrase, he cheated death, there is no cheating. Romans 5.14, Romans 5.17, they both use the expression, death reigned. The word reign there, it means to exercise kingly power, to have absolute authority, to be in control. And that's what death has been. Death was the king. None dared trifle with its power, none appeared able to alter its decree. C.S. Lewis. He once had doubted even the existence of Jesus, was also persuaded by the evidence of Jesus's resurrection. And Lewis writes, something perfectly new in the history of the universe had happened. Christ had defeated death. The door, which had always been locked, had for the very first time been forced open we see first of all, the stone that is death. And then we go a little bit further with this stone of death rolled away. And that is the seal. What is it that seals the stone of death? Well, that is the deeds of the law. Pilate was the one consenting to the death of Jesus. He's the one recorded as saying to those who came to him after the death of Jesus, these words. He said, ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting the watch. The stone rolled upon the tomb of Jesus was weighty indeed. But if the stone itself were not enough, it was made fast by the seal of the authority of the law. Pilate makes a decree, make it as sure as you can. The Bible says in Romans chapter two, verse number 12, these words, as many as have sinned in the law, shall be judged by the law. In other words, if you've sinned, the law seals the deal. When I violate God's just commands, when I go against those things that he has set as my standard, I've come to a place now where the law itself seals my doom. The wages of sin remains death. Romans 3.20, therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. We see the stone of death. We see the seal, the deeds of the law. And then if we go just a little bit further with what was present at this stone of death? Well, we see the soldiers, and I would say that there's another soldiering force, and that is the demonic host of hell. The soldiers acting as the watchmen of death were certainly no greater threat than Satan. His host of demons had been triumphantly standing guard over all who had entered the grave, the grave. And those demonic forces attending to it had held fast before and certainly it would hold fast now. Yes, the stone, the seal, The soldiers were all tasked with making the sepulcher sure so that all who entered would never leave. Yet what was the stone of death, the seal of the law, or the soldiering demons that stood guard? What were they against a sovereign savior, a risen Lord and a conquering king? Notice how he rises. There is no struggle. There is no war now that is raging. The reality of it is finished is in fact, a statement of truth. Now Jesus rises of his own power. There is no wrestling. There is no striving. He's simply of his own power. He was dead and now he is alive. He doesn't move the stone himself. Look at what the Bible says. Now, he could have, of course, he, he, he goes through his clothes. They, the, the grave clothes are laying there. He appeared in the middle of, of, of rooms. He, he goes right through walls. Jesus could have easily come out of the tomb. It's not that the, the stone was there to release Jesus. The stone is there, obviously, for another person. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew 28, verse number two, and behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Jesus rising from the grave doesn't break out of jail as a convicted felon. Instead, heaven itself now testifies to the fact that all has been paid. He is no longer captive to the grave or to death or to hell. And so God deputizes, if you will, an angel, gives him the key to the tomb, and the stone is rolled away. The stone of death can now pass no judgment on the one it holds, and the very doorway of death itself is rolled away. What happened when the stone of death was taken away? Our victory in Christ was then complete and now judgment of death, fully paid by Jesus, fully recognized as satisfactory by the Father can never again be held against all those who are in Christ Jesus. We can never be held captive by the stone of death. The grave, once controlled by Satan, is no longer a dungeon. For the believer, it is simply a bedchamber Jesus became the first who simply rested there. And we are those that follow. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. If Jesus had not fully paid the debt, he would have remained in the grave and the stone would have not been rolled away. But now the debt is fully paid. The stone of death is rolled away and the door of death is not merely cracked open, barely breached. It is cast aside. The prison of death has no more power over the child of God. This is why we can say, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And then some of the most poetic words I find in scripture, "O oh death, where is thy sting? Almost taunting, O oh grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ." What do we see? First of all, the stone of death is rolled away. Let's go a little bit further and notice that the stone of doubt is rolled away. The Bible says again, Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse number five, Mark 16, verse number five, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they have laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. The fact that a stone, which was very great, was rolled away, now allowed for inspection, not of who they would find, but of who they would not find. Now, we have to remember this great stone is rolled away, not so that Jesus can be let out. It is rolled away for those to be let in. And we can be absolutely sure that if Jesus had not risen from the dead, we would never have heard of him. He'd already passed the test of rising again. And now the women that come and are going to anoint a dead body. The disciples, they're already cowering in fear. They believe that everything had ended in tragedy. It can be firmly attested that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, his name would be lost to time and to history. But the Bible records in Acts chapter 1, verse three, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by what? many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. It should be noted that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most established facts in all of history. Those who testified to his resurrection were many. They were from all walks of life, classes, conditions, and none ever changed their testimony. No one said they were mistaken. No one said they were deceived. Let history produce the witness that says, I saw the body of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number six, we see that there were 500 who saw Jesus at one time. This is not some small insignificant event. This is something that is very broadly known. Do you remember when the apostle Paul is sharing his testimony with a Roman governor Festus, and a king, a regional king, Agrippa. So Paul's sharing his testimony. He said, listen, I I find pleasure in the fact that this day I get to give an answer for myself. And so Paul begins to unpack the scriptures, the prophets, which these to whom he was speaking were familiar. He gets to a critical part in his testimony regarding the resurrection of Jesus. This is in Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse number 23. Listen to what Paul says that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people, to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. And then he turns to King Agrippa, He no longer addresses Festus. And he turns to King Agrippa and he says, for the king knoweth these things before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. Can you see his eyes burning into the very soul of King Agrippa when he says, listen, King, you know what I'm talking about. This is, not some, this is not some insignificant event that took place in some little tiny thing, some rumor that began to spread. King, you know, this is widely reported and you know these reports yourself. I don't know that he was mocking when the King said, possibly with trembling voice, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. It should be noted by those that have preached the resurrection that they had nothing to gain, these early followers of Christ, those who had seen the risen Lord and everything to lose by such a testimony. They didn't gain wealth or power and most who gave testimony to the resurrection did so at the expense of their own lives. Dr. Paul Meyer, former professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University said, if all the evidence is weighed carefully and fairly, it is indeed justifiable to conclude that the tomb in which Jesus was buried was actually empty on the morning of the first Easter and no shred of evidence has been discovered that would disprove this statement. Tom Anderson, former president of the California Trial Lawyers Association offers this thought regarding the resurrection of Christ with an event so well publicized, don't you think that it's reasonable that one historian, one eyewitness, one antagonist would record for all time that he had seen Christ's body. The silence of history is deafening when it comes to the testimony against the resurrection. When the stone was rolled away, death was finally conquered by the power of the one coming out of the tomb. This is not a case of Jesus raising another. It was Jesus conquering death and raising himself. And because there is no doubt that he is alive, there is no doubt that I too shall live. John 14, verse 19. Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, Jesus said, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also, yes, There have been some even after Jesus' resurrection who did not believe. The stone of doubt still existed if only in their own minds. It was Thomas who we we well know earned the moniker doubting Thomas who said, except I see in his hand the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Can you imagine the look on his face eight days later when Jesus suddenly appears in their midst? First words he speaks is, peace be unto you. And then the following words, after he speaks a word of peace, he stretches out his hand and turns to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, reach forth thy finger and place it into my hand. And reach forth thy fist and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. And now Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen, you believe. And guess what you are among? Jesus said, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. My friend, you and I have insurmountable evidence regarding the resurrected Jesus Christ. And although we have not seen with our physical eyes, we see through eyes of faith, a risen Lord. What do we have? We have a stone of death that is rolled away. We have a stone of doubt that is rolled away. And lastly, we have a stone of denial that is rolled away. Denial, by that I mean Oftentimes there might be some who'd say, no, 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 you are denied access to this. You remember when God came and first gave the law and there's a barricade placed around the mount, there are thunderings and lightnings and whoever touches this holy mount will surely die. Now the barricade is removed and now all who will come are no longer denied There have long been stories about a mystical fountain of youth. Great quests, wonderful stories have been written, told about this spring that brings forth what we might refer to as living water. In Genesis 29, beginning in verse number one, then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the East. And he looked and behold a well in the field and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well, they watered the flocks and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. Here we see that that unless someone came and rolled away the stone, the, the sheep were denied water, no access unless there was someone to roll away the stone. A well that Jacob observed. And then sometime later in the days of Jesus, there is another well that's mentioned as belonging to Jacob. Now, Jacob's well was there in John chapter four. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou... Being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the stone is literally rolled away from all who are thirsty. They may come and drink of living water. Jesus indicated that all this woman must do is ask and he would provide for her living water. You and I know that Jesus is that living water. He died as the substitute in my place for my sin, taking my punishment and satisfying the holiness of God. Now he simply invites all to come and allow his righteousness to be ours. He has rolled away the stone of denial and invites the sheep to drink freely. Revelation twenty two seventeen. and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The stone of denial is rolled away. My friend, if you have not yet drunk from that fountain of life, would you consider drinking from that well even today? You would be what we oftentimes use in biblical language, saved. Saved from the prison of death safe from hell, safe from separation. And the only invitation is that we humbly accept what Jesus accomplished when the stone was rolled away. And he came forth as the victor over sin, over death and over hell. It is no longer a stone of death. It is no longer a stone of doubt. It is no longer a stone of denial. Now we stand on a rock that is our salvation, a pillar that is our security and a testimony of our submission to God Almighty. Have you yet believed? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The songwriter wrote the words, "Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus, my savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus, my Lord. Vainly, they watch his bed, Jesus, my savior. Vainly, they seal the dead, Jesus, my Lord. Death cannot keep its prey, Jesus, my savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus, my Lord. And then with such a triumphant refrain, up from the grave, he arose, with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. You've been listening to a Bible conference message from Pensacola Christian College. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.